Section 4 of Dave Brings Home a Wife. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Dave Brings Home a Wife by Steel Rudd. Chapter 13. Lily's Mother Arrives. Lily came one morning and borrowed our pen and ink and wrote a letter to her mother. Dear Mother, it ran, I've been expecting to hear from some of yous every day, and I've not got a letter yet. It's just five months tomorrow, dear mother, since we got married, and it only seems like a week. When are you coming to see us? Make up your mind when you come and stay a month. And Sissy could come and stay another month after you go back. I'm sure she will enjoy it herself. It would be a change for her, and we would be glad to have her with us. This is a real nice place. We have got our own house now, dear mother, which is ever so much nicer than being in someone else's, where you never felt you could do what you liked. Though they were all very kind and all that, except Sarah, who is Dave's sister, and is getting to be an old maid. But Dave said for me not to take any notice of her, and I never do now. Dear mother, I have not much news to tell you, and I have Dave's dinner to get. He is chaff-cutting today and will soon be coming. Dear mother, there are some very nice people here, and we often have them for company. A Mrs. Pills, whose husband knows father, lost her baby yesterday, and it is to be buried today. The day before it took sick there was nothing whatever the matter with it, but it took convulsions, and before Mr. Pills could get enough hot water to put it in, the poor little thing was dead. It was Mrs. Pills' first baby, too, and everyone about is so sorry over it. P.S. Dave is here now, and he has brought some eggs and a young kitten. With love to all at home. I remain, dear mother, your affectionate daughter, Lily Rudd. And in due course, Lily's mother sent an answer, saying she, Hoped it would find Lily and Dave quite well and in good health and spirits, as it left her at present, thank God. And accepted the invitation to stay a month, and named the day on which she would arrive at the railway station, and hoped Dave would meet her. When the day came round, Lily was all impatience and excitement. She rose a couple of hours earlier than usual, and began making preparations, decorated the place, nailed bags and newspaper pictures and things all over the inside of it. She came to mother during the morning, too, for some baking soda, and went back and made a dishful of burnt scones. Altogether, she came to mother about sixteen times during the morning for one thing and another, and every time told her how pleased she was that mother was coming, and discoursed about her parents' age and the colour of her hair before it turned grey, and the length of it and the good teeth she had, and promised to bring her down some evening to see mother. Lily didn't tell Sarah anything about her parent, though. Sarah was never present when Lily was about. But Sarah was interested in the old lady's visit for all that. Sarah used to listen to everything Lily said, and when the latter had left, would drop in with a broom in her hand and sweep vigorously round mother where there was no dirt or dust. After putting in a few useless strokes with the broom, Sarah would toss her loose hair back and, leaning on the handle, remark, A wonderful thing, isn't it? A mother coming. You'd think no one else ever had a mother. But mother wouldn't encourage Sarah to ridicule her sister. Mother had been young herself once and understood the peculiarities of women. And women's peculiarities are many and varied, especially young women. At midday, Dave left off the chaff-cutting and yoked a horse in the spring cart to go to the railway station for his mother-in-law. Dad, on a round of inspection, entered the yard. "'Why, what's up now?' he asked, 
staring in astonishment at Dave, perched in the cart when he should have been employed cutting chaff. Go into the railway from Mother, Dave said. Peru! Dad yelled. Mother, Dave repeated. She's coming today, didn't you know? Dad swung his two hands about as if he were engaged in a hammer-throwing competition, and hobbling round the cart, looked up hard at Dave from the other side. I a mad fella! He roared. Why, bless me soul, ain't your mother in the house? And Dad tried to force a grin. Oh, I don't mean her. Dave sniggered. Me other mother, Lelzer woman. For a second or two, Dad just stared at Dave with all his eyes and mouth. Then... Well, if you've got so many damned mothers that you've got to waste a whole day running about at their tails with a horse and cart, the sooner you go and work with some of them all together, the better. Dave was hurt in his dignity. By cripes, then, he growled. If you're not careful, I will. And he drove off. Dave had to drive to the yard gate, then wheel round and come down along the fence to reach the road. Dad cut across to intercept him, and hanging over the wires, yelled, And who's going to look after me, Chaff, while you're running about the damned country? You can, Dave shouted. You're so bigger and smart. And he rattled onto the road, leaving nothing but dust and wheel tracks behind for Dad to swear at. While Dave was away at the railway station, Lily swept up the ground in front of the new house and gathered the loose chips and bones and empty tins that were lying about and stacked them in a heap. Then she sat back near the door and hummed tunes and watched the road for signs of the cart's return. Towards sundown, Dave, with a sinewy, talkative little woman beside him in the cart, came trotting up to the big white gate. Is this the place? The little woman who was Dave's mother-in-law asked, fixing her small brown eyes in an admiring kind of way on our place, with all the fruit trees and barn and outbuildings and yards and haystacks about it. No, Dave said cheerfully. That's the old chaps. Ours is a new place further up. And he swung the whip round his head, indicating pretty well every part of the compass. Dave's place, sitting among the grass, was plain enough for Mrs White to see as they drove up, but the fact didn't occur to her that it was a dwelling, and she looked over the top of it, straining her eyes at Gray's big house, the roof of which was just visible in the dim distance. But when Dave suddenly cried, Wah! and pulled up in front of his door, and Lily rushed to the wheel to greet her, Mrs White noticed it was a residence, and her countenance took a turn. It changed suddenly. The look of joyous, lively expectation it had worn all the way from the railway station left it, and she seemed inclined to remain in the cart as if the drive hadn't lasted half long enough for her. Dave, with the air of an advance agent for a circus, hopped out as nimble and light-footed as a goat. You'd think it was the Queen, or Melba, or a gold escort he was in charge of, not his mother-in-law at all. Give us a hold of your mother, he said, extending his big hairy hand to the amazed-looking passenger. And I'll help you out. And she looked as if she wanted helping out some too. And without uttering a word, Without even taking her eyes off the house, Mrs. White scrambled to the ground. Then Lily pounced on her and hugged her hard and repeatedly, and told her how pleased she was to see her again. And Dave said, Like out for yourselves there. And started the horse again, and drove to the stable to take the brute out of the cart, and left his mother-in-law's handbag in it. You don't mean to tell me, girl, 
Mrs. White said when Lily took her inside. That this is the place you're living in. And she stared all around with misery and tears in her eyes. Well, it is. Lily answered apologetically. But you know, Mother, we couldn't get on very well together in the other house, and this was put up in a great hurry when they were all so busy. But it's only for a while. Mr. Rudd means to have a real good house built for us soon. Mrs. White wrinkled her brow and stared disparagingly at the inoffensive-looking furniture. It's no place for a man to bring his wife to, she said warmly. And I'm sure you're not happy in it, girl. I'd sooner see you camping under a dray, so I would. But it's not for long, Mother, Lily said, with an effort to appear cheerful. We might be out of it any time now. But Lily's mother, though weedy-looking and grey, was a stubborn little person, and had some deep-rooted convictions as to what a comfortable dwelling should be like. Even if it had been put up well enough, she snapped, gazing at the coalition roof, a mixture of decayed shingle and kerosene tin flattened out with a hammer. It's not big enough for a pigeon box. Then, after lowering her eyes and making further discoveries, Oh, dear, oh, dear, why, there isn't a board on the floor. Well, I wanted them to put... Lily, it's a shame. Mrs. White squealed, interrupting her daughter. And if they can't afford a better house for you to live in than this, then you must come back home. I never saw such a place. It's worse than a lock-up. Oh, I'd sooner be in a lock-up. It's a pigsty to take you away from your good home, too, and dump you here in such a kennel. Oh, dear, dear, what a sin! Lifting her voice to a shriek. It's a crime, and if you catch your death of cold in it, my girl, it will be murder. And I'll tell him as soon as he comes in. And Mrs. White would have walked up and down, too, she was so angry, but there wasn't any room for exercising in Dave's house. Dave's house wasn't built for a gymnasium. Now, Mother... Lily pleaded, the tears running down her cheeks. Don't. Don't do that. Don't say anything to Dave about it. It's not his fault. He has done all he can do. It's all Mr. Rudd's. Then I'll tell him what I think of the house he has put you into, and what I think of him, too. Mrs. White screeched, shaking her head angrily. How would he like to see his own daughter? Here, Lily heard Dave coming along whistling up the track, and silencing her mother, hurried to lay the table for supper. Well, mother... Dave said, bowling in with a broad grin on his bearded face. What do you think of our castle? The blood rushed to Mrs. White's cheeks, but she kept down her emotions pretty well, and with a fair amount of composure said, Well, I hope you don't intend to live in it all your life. That's all. Oh, by Jove, no. Dave answered with glad assurance. A new five-room place soon, out of the next barley, the old man was talking about it only this morning. Hmm. Well, I know what old men are, and I'd keep him to it. Mrs. White said with another shake of her head, and she said it in a disagreeably pleasant way too. Mrs. White had a lot of intuition about her. She had never seen Dad in her life, yet she seemed to know the kind of man he was just by studying Dave's house. Well, come on, Dave said, changing the subject. And we'll have something to eat. 
and we gathered round and sat at supper, and the meal passed off almost in silence. Dave, never a brilliant conversationalist, was too hungry to talk, and Lily was kept too busy pouring out tea for him to say much. While the odd scraps of furniture and the poverty-stricken appearance of the walls, and the patched roof with the moon and stars peeping through at her, absorbed most of Mrs. White's troubled thoughts. Now and then she would glance uneasily from the little broken-down couch on which she sat, to the entrance to the bedroom, which was screened by a dangling sack, as though the solution of some serious problem was agitating her mind. Whether she was to seek repose for the night on the couch, or under Dave's bed, or on top of the house. But she didn't reveal her thoughts. Dave finished eating and broke in on the silence. He said, You ought to know the £250 cheque for Bullocks this morning, Lou and leaned back as if he were Jimmy Tyson, the millionaire. "'Goodness!' Lily answered, opening her eyes in astonishment. "'Another two hundred and fifty pounds. That's five hundred pounds the last fortnight.' "'Yes,' Dave drawled, stooping down and handing the cat a plug of meat on the end of a fork. Then turning slowly to Mrs. White. "'That's a good price, I got mother. Five hundred pounds for sixty-three-year-old bollocks, and I'll have more ready in a month.' Dave's mother-in-law's countenance underwent another change. Her eyes lit up and she stared at her son-in-law as though she had suddenly discovered he was an unpretentious millionaire. "'And whose is all that money?' she asked, to make certain her surmise was correct. "'Oh, ours,' Dave said. "'My colonial.' And helped the cat to more meat. Then Mrs. White stared harder than ever at Dave and looked around again at the miserable wretched furniture and smiled an incredulous smile, until Lily thought it proper to make an explanation. At least we don't get all that money, Dave, Lily said, looking at her husband. Oh, no, Dave drawled, addressing his mother-in-law. The old man gets it, but we all make it, you know. It belongs to the lot of us, when we want anything. He went on for her general information. We get it. Don't matter what it is, a horse or a cart, trip to town, beef or rations, a few bob, anything. It's always there. Lil gets what she wants too, just the same. Turning to Lil with a grin. I'm going down in the morning to ask the old man for a quid. Wonder what he'll say. And your father has everything then? Mrs. White said, this time with a pained, puzzled expression. Oh, yes, Dave answered. Everything, except Lil. And then he grinned. But Mrs. White didn't join in Dave's joke. She scowled and sat considering hard. And after a while she looked compassionately at Lily and said, Well, I don't know where you're going to put me, child, but I feel quite done up and must go to bed somewhere or other. Lily explained that Dave would sleep on the floor in the front room and that her mother could take his place in her bed. Then apologising to Dave for leaving him in the dark, she took the lamp and showed her mother the way in. Dave, with his boots off and his feet resting on the table, sat planning the programme for the morrow's work. After a while, Lily called out, Did you take a bag of mother's out of the cart, Dave? Dave reflected. No, he said. I never. Well, it must be in it yet. Lily answered anxiously, coming out of the room. And she wants it. Her nightgown is in it. Huh. Dave grunted. Wish I had known before pulling off me boots. Those cows have had the card out since, too, getting green stuff for the pigs. 
Then dragging his bluchers on again, he trudged off to the shed. Dave struck a match and searched the cart, but no bag was there. Flaring lights and a lot of noise and rioting going on in the barn attracted him. He went to the door and looked in. Joe was there, careering round in the nightdress and swinging the handbag about, while Bill and Tom and Barty laughed and husked cobs and threw them at him. Here, Dave said indignantly, stepping in and approaching Joe. I'm looking for that. Why couldn't you leave it where it was? Oh. <laughs> Joe chuckled, dragging the garment over his hat. It's yours, is it? Is that what you wear when you get married? The Huskers laughed. Do all married coves have to wear them? More mirth. Never mind. Dave answered seriously, snatching the long white robe from Joe and marching off with it over his arm like a coat and carrying the bag in his hand. And as he went out, a cob of corn struck the side of the door in close proximity to his head, scattering grains all around like a charge of shot, one of which stung Dave in the ear. Dave jumped round. Now, who the deuce was that? He said, running his eye over the others. Bill and Tom dropped their heads between their knees and giggled and husked vigorously. Joe, standing in the middle of the floor, gave a short laugh, and Barty, with a guilty look on his face, rose to his feet and began looking for openings in the wall. You crawler, Dave said, rushing at Barty and flogging him round the barn with the ornamental end of the nightdress. Unable to escape, Barty turned in a corner and stood at bay. Fling another of your cobs at me, Willie, Dave hissed, slashing again at him. Barty showed his teeth and seized hold of the garment and clung to it. Dave gave a fierce wrench to release it, and all the frills came away with a rip and a tear and remained with Barty. By heavens, you tore it! Dave said, alarmed looking, and he paused to examine the damage. Then Barty left the corner with a bound and bolted for the door. Loud, boisterous laughter rang after him, and the north and south ends of him were hit hard with cobs and small pumpkins as he dived through into the darkness. Did you get it? Lily asked, as Dave strode in with the habiliment in his hand. Yes, I got it all right. Dave said, tossing the garment to her. Lily stared. Goodness me, you needn't have opened it, she said. Oh, I didn't open it, Dave answered, starting to pull off his boots again. And Lily turned and went in to her mother. What on earth has happened to it? Mrs. White exclaimed. It was rolled in brown paper in my bag. I do declare the dogs or something have been added. Two-layered dogs. Dave drawled, planting his big stockinged feet on the table again and leaning back contentedly. And as he reflected on the episode, the humour of it all seemed to strike him, and lifting his voice, he added, It were Jer, the jet. He had it on when I went down. And a low, rumbling noise intended for a laugh came from him. Had it on? Mrs. White shrieked from the bedroom. My nightgown? Who? Why, what? Oh, the savages. Take it away, Lily. I wouldn't have it near me. Take it away, child, and give me my petticoat. Oh, my gracious me, what kind of barbarians are you amongst at all? Are you in, Dave? A harsh voice called from outside. Dave, recognising it, shouted, Come on in, Jimmy. What are you after? 
and Jimmy Regan, the wild harem-scarum of the district, groped his way in at the door. Find a seat somewhere there, Jimmy, Dave said hospitably. Laura'll be here directly. Won't stay long, Jimmy rejoined, speaking in a loud voice and leaning against the wall. Gotta go round to old Gray yet to see if he'll stump out the couple of days he owes me brother for thrashin'. But what I've come for is the loan of a nag. Can you lend us one to go to town on tomorrow, Dave? Dave required some time to consider, and Jimmy rattled on. Saw you flying along the railway this evening, Dave, but you were too high up to look my way. Who was the old girl with all the ribbons and things on that you was bucket up to in the cart? Dave shuffled his feet uneasily. The thinnest armful I ever see. Dave tried to shove the table down to make a noise, but it was built into the ground. By heavens, she were a freak! And the way she... But Jimmy was suddenly interrupted. What is that brute saying, Lily? came in shrill tones from the interior of the bedroom. Dave didn't wait to hear any more. He sprang to his feet and kicked over a gin case, which hardly made any noise either, and groped in the dark for Jimmy, and said quietly, Come out here. Jimmy followed Dave, and they walked a short distance from the house. What the devil's the matter? Jimmy asked, standing and staring into Dave's face. She heard you, Dave answered in low, cautious tones. Dashy, she heard everything you said. But that weren't the wife's voice, Jimmy replied, more mystified than ever. Nah, from Dave. It's me mother-in-law there. Didn't you know it was her I was bringing in the cart? Jimmy jumped in the air. Jimmy was enlightened. Oi! He exclaimed, stepping back a pace and looking more concerned than ever. Ain't I put me foot in it? Why didn't you give us a hint? Then Dave, in his own agreeable fashion, excused Jimmy, told him it didn't matter, and added that he could have the loan of a horse in the morning if he came up for it before the old man was up. Evans! Jimmy chuckled at the sound of Mrs. White's voice again. She is rearing yet! And turning to go away, he said, I wouldn't go in there again, Dave, without a gun, for the best horse you've got in the paddock and a billet all the year round. Dave grinned in the dark, and without any gun, went inside and faced the music for nothing. End of section four.